0: In an absolutely shocking turn of events, Jose Ramirez demonstrated that it is sometimes beneficial to show the home plate umpire the finger. You are listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field, back Spencer, Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Well, in this case, the finger that Jose demonstrated was an extended finger reaching home plate and helping Cleveland outlast the Mariners in a game, Zach, that was starting to feel a little like the Iron Man match between The Rock and Triple H at Judgment Day 2000 back and forth. They, how is this going to end? I was waiting for The Undertaker to come out and swing things at the end. But Cleveland emerged victorious. To completely botch it after an hour of wrestling?
1: <laughs> uh, those games, do you think that since they installed the new runner at second rule for extra innings, do you find those games being exhausting, more stressful? I mean... Because there's, there's some sort of rally or potential scoring situation in every half inning. And there's so much strategy involved with who to pitch to, who not to pitch to. Do you try to move the runner over? Do you swing away? And it is this crazy chess match. And I know some people are still... It's a very polarizing topic. I've come around to saying I like it. And this is a, what I'm saying is exactly why. There's action. But my God, it's... It's nuts. And then you play like a two-hour, 15-minute game now, but then the extra <laughs> innings take just as long because there's so much happening.
0: Well, it, I think it incentivizes the hitters to to not sway into try-to-hit home run territory, which is boring baseball. It, it can be boring just in a regular what innings one through nine where guys want to hit a home run, but it, it's it's magnified once you used to get to extra innings and it just became almost like a home run derby. I just want to end this game. And oftentimes like in golf, the harder you try, the worse you're going to do. And I think for a hitter, the more you're up there just trying to end the game, it's not going to work out. So it, to me, it's not about telling the hitters to change. It's removing the incentives or changing the incentives. And I, I felt like that's what the, the extra inning rule did. And for Cleveland, we, we've said, we said this throughout the entire 2022 season, how impress, impressive it was to watch a, a bunch of, of younger players that really had no business at times doing the things that they were doing come back and, and win games that they should not have won. Yesterday was a case in which, when I mean, you look back at a season, you say, you should have got this one or that one. But yesterday was a game that you shouldn't have had, and they still found a way to win it. Impressive. And it has me asking myself whether on April 9th there's such a thing as a, a big victory, a key victory. Can that be possible this early in the calendar? Only in the sense that
1: when you wind up with 90 wins and the Twins have 90 wins and you're saying, hey, thank God we got that one, or you fall one game short, well, no, that wouldn't make sense. If you finish one game ahead, and you're saying, well, if we didn't, I mean, it, it's, they're all, all sixty-two count the same, right? And yes, I think it's tough because again, we want to react and overreact to every single thing that happens. And that's why baseball is not meant for Twitter or talk radio or whatever, because it's, you get emotional, and you get, and you're supposed to feel those things as a fan. But then, the very next day, something happens. I mean, the the Oakland series, they had no business winning that first game. When they keep coming back and keep coming back, I mean, it's pretty similar. And then they win in extra innings, and then two days later, they're up four nothing. You think this is an easy win, and then they blow that in the eighth inning, and it's four four. I think you're thinking, well. I mean this is a game they've no business losing but I just said 2 days ago that was a game they had no business winning so the uh, point is <laughs> over the course of a season a lot of this stuff can cancel each other out however this team is really really good in extra innings and it's not a fluke they were 13 and 6 last year they're 6 and 4 right now and they're 4 and 0 oh in extra innings if you it, hey team's playing the guardians just beat them in 9 if you can beat them in nine, you're golden. Otherwise, you're done. They're two and four in nine innings, but they're four and O in extras. And we know why. It's it's When you get that runner at second base and you are a contact-oriented team, you're going to move that runner over. You're going to get him home. They're really good at those things. They're really good at slapping singles through a hole. They don't have to rely on the home run. And then they have a really good bullpen, a deep bullpen and a bullpen that has the fourth best strikeout rate in baseball. So, while they're really good at avoiding strikeouts at the plate, which is key cuz you got to keep moving runners in extra innings. That's that's the formula. They're really good at preventing that in extra innings. Maybe it didn't go so well at certain points on
0: Sunday, but they're still they're, they're
1: 17 and 6 in extra innings
0: over the last two seasons. What was more impressive, the slide by Jose at the end, trying to avoid the tag that came in from the catcher after Wong fielded it and threw it home. Or the pose after touching home plate of Jose, and you've, everyone has seen the picture now at, at this point. You tweeted it out, going very Kate Winslet as he's got one leg extended in the air, he's got the other and the arms extended out. This looks like he's in Do such you like a my movie comfortable references? position. Did you see Titanic? Did you go to the theater to see that?
1: No, I saw it at a family friend's house. Of course you did. We were not allowed to
0: watch that scene, though. I'm sure they wanted to know why the, the VHS tape just kind of it, it goes out, in and out. It's like it's been worn out at this very specific spot. Young Meisel, why is that? What has happened here? Be kind,
1: please rewind. I would say the slide, because that always... I I always marvel at that, because you think about everything with baseball is split-second reactions, and I think what makes Jose Ramirez so great is that his instincts are so far superior than those of the other players on the diamond, and his baseball IQ is through the roof, and he's able to see things happen before they happen, and... We've talked about it in terms of taking an extra base, knowing that he can beat that guy to that base, and there's not even going to be a play. He did it in Seattle in the opening series. But this is to know what sort of slide is going to be most effective. You don't, you can't plan that out. You don't get to sit there with Mike Sarbaugh at third base and say, okay, so... Here's what I'm going to do. If this happens, I'm gonna slide this way and I'm gonna put my hand here and I'm gonna raise it at this point. and I mean, it's all instincts, and it's all just it's like he's got eyes on the sides of his head. and it's just it's it's so impressive. I mean, it, we, we've talked about it so many times, and I still think it's a very underrated trait, but he is ranked. Year after year after year at or near the top of the base running metrics. I mean, look at fan graphs and just sort by base running. Go every single year. There was one year where he was in first. I don't remember who was second. But the difference between them was like the same as the difference between second and 15th. I mean, he is such a good base runner. And he's not that fast. So the way he's able to make things happen on the bases, it's, it's all here. It's, it's instincts. It's, it's these. And, I mean, it, it, you truly can create a list of examples of where his brain and his vision give this team
0: extra runs and, in this case, a win. We talked about it when we had Dre on a couple of weeks ago Not only is he smart on the base pass, but picking up things that a pitcher is doing and then passing that along to teammates. You're watching this specific pitch and this specific count. We see him on the top step of the dugout when he's not hitting. He's still there watching. And yeah, he's joking around and having fun. But he is always paying attention to everything. And to have that in your star player who then can pass that along to everybody else on a very young team, it's part of the value that we don't talk about in his, his war total, but it's immeasurable. For a team like this that doesn't have the experience that a veteran club would, to have a player like that that is always paying attention and imparting knowledge, and I think making other people feel comfortable, too, we talk about that all the time with Terry Francona, so very important. And I hope you're feeling comfortable watching this show. It is the GodCast. That's Zach. I'm TJ. As a reminder, oh, yeah. this show is brought to you in part by SeatGeek. GodCast listeners get $20 off their first ticket purchase with the promo code SELBY. Download the app. Save you some money over at SeatGeek. I know some of our, our listeners have done so and have shared that in the, the Discord. We do appreciate that. If you're not part of the Discord, consider supporting the show. Patreon.com slash SELBY is GodCast, where we do those midweek episodes in addition to these free ones that you're hearing on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you happen to be listening to your podcast. We're not having a pleasant conversation today, if not for two very key base hits by a guy that we've talked up on this show quite a bit, Will Brennan, who continues to prove that he needs to get those at-bats. And he's, he's gotten quite a few at-bats. It's not like he's been glued to the bench here. I've been decently pleased with the way that Tito has worked his bench players in, but are we to a point now with Gonzalez still kind of scuffling and not showing us much? Does Brennan continue to eat into that playing time? And also, I think what goes into this with Gonzalez, he's young enough. Is what's best for him to get him out of this funk, just only facing left-handed pitching and playing two times a week? What are we going to see with that right field position now? What I can guarantee you is that Brennan needs to get more play appearances than he's gotten here throughout the first week and a half. Yeah. And I, I think, especially since Bell is struggling so much
1: and Bell and Gonzalez being so close in the lineup and being, I mean, Bell, Bell's drawn walks at least, but Gonzalez is going to swing at everything. So I think, I think both of them scuffling to the degree they're scuffling is a pretty rough combination in the middle of the lineup. So I mean I don't I don't know, but I would think you're gonna see Brennan just earn more opportunities against right-handed pitching. You're gonna see, I believe, three righties from the Yankees this week. So it would make sense. I mean he's the one thing we know about him is he can hit he did it every stop in the minors. I, I know it's been brief, but in his major league career he's He's hit. And he just looks like he belongs. I don't know. It's just something something there. You didn't answer me, so I assumed you were saving it for the podcast, but did you what did you think about my swing comparison? Because you said you thought Will Brennan's swing reminded you of someone and you couldn't put your finger on it. I thought I put my finger on it.
0: Remind me who you said again. And I said his his stance. Oh. Not necessarily his swing, but his stance. All of it. I thought Jody Garrett. Oh, okay. I'd have to go back and watch Because he's pretty left-handed, pretty
1: upright, and then when the pitcher comes set, he kind of hunches back
0: down, and he's, I don't know, just reminded. (laughs) It reminds me a lot of him. Well, the funny thing is it actually looks a lot like Stephen Kwan as well, at least in the setup with the bat extended vertically and very upright at the plate but they're not, they're not totally the same. They're, they're, it, it was driving me crazy when I texted you as I sat there, and then I started going, how do you find a specific batting stance when you don't know whose it is? There's no Wikipedia <laughs> here where I could pull up and just go through old batting stances. <laughs> the closest thing I was thinking of doing is firing up an old video game because you remember when you would create a player, you could go through... And you could cycle through the batting stances. And oftentimes it would have Mm -hmm. the player as you were doing it. And I thought maybe I could do that. I could go through and just find who the batting stance is that it's reminding me of. Garrett, maybe. I'm going to have to go back and watch some highlights of it. To me, what I had in my mind was, you know, those Cardinals, the, the very specific socks that the Cardinals wear. I couldn't get that out of my mind that there was a Cardinals player that had that sort of batting stance. For a second, I was like... Maybe it's Matt Carpenter. No, it's not Matt Carpenter. That's like it's very different. But I couldn't figure out who it was. It was driving me crazy. I don't How know if Garrett's ago? it, but I'm going to go look at that. I, that's what I don't know. It was driving me crazy though. Like, are we talking It like doesn't Ray matter Lankford? at all. Fernando <laughs> I mean, Vina. Maybe, maybe, no, Vina's batting stance was just like planted on the ground by Albert Bell. I've seen that highlight. Placido like Polanco. Seven, uh, seven times here in the last. I feel like a week. Uh, Vinya getting belted by Bell. I mean, I I think this team is
1: still so young and so many of the players we're talking about are so inexperienced that I don't think there's anything wrong with just riding the hot hand. And that might come at the detriment of someone else's development, but that's sort of the position they're in. I mean, that, that happened last season. It's if Andres Jimenez doesn't get off to a good start and look really consistent and capable for the first couple months wouldn't have surprised me if we would have seen Gabriel Arias at second base in the middle of last season so I think you just have to do that there's too many 24 25 year olds on this roster to to sort of go with your gut feeling I think you just have to go with who's
0: producing well I get that I don't disagree with you I think they're also in the business of trying to get people worked out of whatever they might be working through if they are having struggles, and Gonzalez is, clearly. So my thought is that it still benefits the team to have Gonzalez as the guy that's facing the the left-handed pitching at the very least. But is that what's best for him? And is it what's best for the team in the long run if he's not, if Gonzalez is not getting back to some level of the performance that he demonstrated last year. So my, that's what my, my question is here. How do they balance that? We, we saw when everything was working perfectly, they didn't have to really ask themselves that question too much last year. But if, if Gonzalez is scuffling, I understand wanting to get Brendan Moore at bats. I agree with that. But what do you do with Gonzalez? It's better for the, the 2023 team if Gonzalez is there on the bench serving some sort of role, but is that what's best for him? And and how do they balance that?
1: I mean, I don't know. I, I think this team is one stick short anyway, and the, the, the stick they're missing is someone who feasts on left-handed pitching. And the problem here is, I mean, they've... Anytime a lefty's been on the mound, it's been Gonzalez in the lineup, which is fine. I mean, he could face lefties, and he could be a home run threat off the bench and pinch hit the way will Brennan's pinch hit and then have Brennan start against righties for now and maybe I mean Brennan might not pan out right away maybe it's maybe it's short-lived but I think it would be easier to say you could just send Gonzalez down to AAA to play every day and work things out if they had someone else who could step in and play the guy or Rayburn who am I forgetting Luplo, roll. They don't have that guy. That guy would pair perfectly with Brennan and Josh Naylor if they wanted to sit Naylor against some lefties too. I mean, it's it's actually it's it's kind of a similar conversation in that I know a lot of people were frustrated that Arias didn't pinch hit for Naylor with the bases loaded against a lefty reliever Saturday night. And the reason, I mean, they were saving Arias to pinch hit for the catcher a few batters later. The one thing there is you have to, if you're saying Naylor's not facing lefties, at least most lefties are lefties in critical situations, like there's no turning back from that. Because you're either letting him still prove that he can be an everyday player, or if you're ending that experiment now, how is he ever going to become a full time player? So I think you have to give him chances. And again, the reason, part of the reason you have to give him chances is there's just, there's not, like Gabriel Arias isn't some lefty masher. Am I that much more confident in him facing a lefty than Naylor? No. Um, and that's, I mean, I believe me, I've seen the stats of Naylor against lefties. It's just, y- you have to, I think in certain cases here, I mean, I'm kind of setting a double standard here. But at least Naylor has proven he can hit righties, and you need to learn the next step for him. With Gonzalez, I don't know what to expect from him against lefties, righties, aliens from another planet. I just I have no idea. And I know that Will Brennan is there and can eat up some of his playing time and possibly be effective. I just there isn't that. Like if Richie Palacios was a known lefty masher. He'd be the perfect fit on this team.
0: But they just don't have that guy. They have tried real hard to, to get him worked out of this funk, and I don't know how much of it is a mechanical thing he's doing or not doing at the plate, or how much of it is just he hasn't seen success at all in this calendar year, whether it was in spring training outside of a few games at the end. And a few base hits here and there, he hasn't really demonstrated a lot to make him feel great about himself. And I'm, I'm not saying that confidence is a reason why someone excels or does not excel, but I think it's part of the equation. How do you get him worked out of this funk when he's only seeing a pitcher two times a week? Is that even important to this team? Is it only about Brennan's the better option, so we go with him? Gonzalez serves the best role as the left-handed platoon option with Brennan. So we just roll with that. And if that's not what is best for his development, so be it. Because we're trying to win games right now. And nobody else fills that role as well as Gonzalez could. Now, the only counter-argument I would have is I still want to see Arias play a little bit more and be in the mix more than than even he has sure. to this point. And he, not that I think he's going to, to mash lefties. I don't think that's his... I I don't think that's part of his skill set but it is a way to also get his bat into the lineup a little bit more against some pitching give him more of a role the key for Gonzalez
1: <laughs> he's had 31 plate appearances you know how many times he's been ahead in the count seven like in seven plate appearances total yep I mean, it's it's that simple, and, and pitchers know that. And it's, you can spend all winter thinking, because he, I mean, this isn't a surprise. It's all the hitting coaches talk about with him. It's just hard. You are built a certain way. You are inherently, you are an aggressive hitter. You are a free swinger. You see something you like or you think you might like, you're going after it. And to completely change that mindset, it's really hard to do. And sometimes it works in your favor because he can get to certain pitches that other hitters can't. And that helps, especially when there's two strikes in the count and he's swinging at junk, but he's staying alive or he's putting it in play. But I mean, how many times do you look up? He's at the plate and it's 0-2 and and
0: now with the pitch clock, it's 0-2 in a hurry. Well, they would have a better understanding of this than I would here initially. But is it something that the pitchers are doing different, or is it just, is it just bad at bats? But what, what is it that has happened here? Because if it is pitchers making an adjustment to him, then obviously that's that's a concern for him and something he's got to adjust to himself. But it, are pitchers still doing the same things, and he's just getting himself out? He's he he's not being demonstrating just a, a shade more patience is something we talked about all off season. It, we talked about it in the season. When do you believe that this guy is good? We said it could be years. He's going to have to go against the grain for years before we're truly going to believe that what he has done to this point is something he's going to continue to do for the rest of his career. So it's not shocking that he would begin the season in the first week and a half slow. And that's the other part of it. It's totally unfair. It's all we have to go on in 2023. But that's the sample size. It's magnified so much more compared to if you go through a week and a half stretch in July. No one's paying attention to it because your numbers are what they are. But when you start the year slow like he has, like Josh Bell has, it's all you think about. And as a hitter, it's all you see when you stroll to the plate. And you see your numbers on the scoreboard and you're hitting 083 or whatever the whatever it is it, it it makes me wonder when Josh Bell hits into a fielder's choice to win the game is that beneficial just because he's getting slapped on the ass in the head and everyone's happy and you did that in some way by at least just putting the ball in play I, I don't know we, we lose sight of it all the time but this is still a game played by human beings and they're gonna feel panicked they're gonna feel great it, it's it's all part of it.
1: His chase rate is in the third percentile. It's not what you want. His whiff rate's Shocked. up considerably over last season. I know it's been 31 plate appearances, so this is not a referendum on the guy, but making a lot less contact in the zone, which it's just... I feel like if you're a hitter with that skill set and those tendencies and you get off to a slow... I mean, you probably just feel like you're swimming upstream and there's no end in sight. It's got to be tough. I don't know what the answer is. Otherwise, I would be the team's run production
0: coordinator. The, the, the like the thing is, you just list those stats to me and it's like, of course. That's the style of hitter he is. That that's kind of brings me back to are the hitters... Are the pitchers doing something different to him? Is he doing something different? I don't know. I don't see a drastic difference. It's just he, is, he had better luck last year on those things. This year, not luck is a bad word, but he's not succeeding in the same way. Is it just because he goes through stretches like this, or is it because there's a physical adjustment that he needs to make?
1: So, and this leads me to thinking about the offense as a whole. Because it looks like they're playing the exact same style, right? They're slapping the ball all over the place. They are blooping and getting defenders to collide into each other at what seems like a ridiculous rate. And running all over the place. And you think, okay, well, we've seen this before and it was effective for them. But is it going to work when it really matters in October and it's hard to string hits together? And I'm not there yet. Because I look, they're tied for last in the majors and home runs. They have five. Tied with the Nationals and Tigers, that's not the company you want to keep. But if you think about it, Jose Ramirez has zero, Josh Bell has zero, Oscar Gonzalez has zero. So that's not going to stay that way. What happens when Ramirez starts hitting for some power? When Bell starts hitting for some power, when the weather heats up, the ball flies a little more. And then what does this lineup, what does this offense look like in that situation? I, 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 think this, I think this offense has a pretty high ceiling. I think they've built a foundation with that style from last season. I think it's even more effective now with the new rules. I think Will Brennan fits that that style pretty well. When Miles Straw is going the way he's going, and I'm not saying he's gonna finish the season with a four eighty-eight on base percentage, but we talked about it. I mean, he really can elevate this lineup. The power threat Zanino provides,
0: I think the lineup is set up for some good things. Just looking at this, the the team in last place for barrels per plate appearance, your Cleveland Guardians in thirtieth. At 2.6, and to give everyone a understanding of where everybody is at right now, the Tampa Bay Rays can't be stopped. <laughs> they're at 10, 10 barrels, 10 uh, percent. I'm sorry, barrels per plate appearance percentage here. They're at 10, middle of the pack would be around six. The Guardians at 2.6, which is kind of surprising. They sit where they're at. <laughs> when you look at their what their record is. We we. Gave them all sorts of love for having a very good West Coast trip. They come home, they drop two out of three. Overall, they're still on pace for whatever that's worth in the first week and a half of the season for a 600 win percentage. I think most of us would be pretty pleased if they did that over the the course of an entire season. And they're doing that and they're still scoring some runs with basically no power, no barrels. And as you said, it's going to get better. Even if they're not among the best in baseball, I think they're capable of being somewhere in the closer to the middle of the pack this year with the names that you just listed. So that is going to change, and how they score runs are going to change. We're not going to see Miles Straw continue to hit three over three thirty throughout the the entire season. And I don't think if he is, they're probably going to change up the lineup a little bit. Maybe we'll see him back in the leadoff spot. And they can get the guy out of the two hole that everyone is screaming about right now, Ahmed Rosario. Actually, if you hit three thirty, you bat seventh in this lineup. So. <laughs> Can they have two seven-hole hitters between him and Jimenez figure out a way to get them both as few plate appearances as possible? We, we have done this for basically a decade now with Tito. We ask, when is the right time to move guys around? Is a week and a half into the season too quick to do it? He's already made some subtle changes. He's moved Bell around a little bit. He's moved Naylor up and down based on maybe wanting to take some pressure off of Bell. Rosario, though, for the better part of now three seasons, continues to find himself in that two hole. We know, see, th- to me, we know that Rosario is going to get hot at some point. <laughs> the question is when he is not, when he starts the year slow, like he pretty much has the first three years we've seen him here in Cleveland, can you bump him down? And then when he's hitting 400 for a three week stretch and he has his seventh multi hit game in the last nine ball games, can you bump him back up then? Can you just take advantage of the hot hand now? And if you if you could, how are you stacking the top of the lineup now? The same way I said I would
1: stack it. When I was asked this question over the off season, thinking a mailbag, and at the end of the year, I would go Quan Ramirez Jimenez. Well. That's when I thought Bell was going to be the savior and you could stick a switch hitter in the cleanup spot, split up some of the lefties. So I guess maybe I'd go Quan Jimenez Ramirez. Not so worried about lefty lefty with Jimenez and Quan. I mean, Jimenez had an 887 OPS against lefties last year. That you can't find a split where he struggles. So... He shouldn't be hitting 7th. And I know a lot of fans are probably saying, why doesn't the media ask Tito and demand change? Nothing's going to happen. First of all, Tito's not going to make a lineup change because a reporter asked about it. But second of all, we've talked about this and we don't have to pull back the curtain here, do inside baseball stuff. But there is a tact you have to take with it. And this has been asked many times. We ask about the lineup daily, constantly. But that doesn't mean you're getting the answer you want. <laughs> like if if I ask, or if Paul Hoynes asks, why is Jimenez hitting 7th when he's hitting 340 and Ahmed... Because you know one thing about Terry Francona is he's never going to throw a player under the bus publicly. And when you ask about lineup stuff, the, the reason why we never get the answer that's satisfying fans is because he can't talk about moving Jimenez up without talking about moving someone else down. And that's why anytime we've asked about it last year or even the year before, you're not getting the answer. Like that, that's how this goes. So I'll be honest. I was thinking about asking about it Saturday. I think Jimenez was hitting seventh. And we are in the press conference room, and I just could not come up with the right wording. Um, and then he hit fifth Sunday. We didn't have a pregame session with Tito. I'm planning to ask about it today. This is Monday, depending on where Jimenez hits. I think I found the right wording that can maybe get an answer that is useful. Um, but again, just so many times you ask and it's, yeah, you just get something really short and not anything worth writing about because it's the assumption is that by asking and why don't you move Jimenez up, you want
0: him to explain who he wants to move down, and he doesn't, it, he's not going to do that. As if he hasn't thought about it a million times, too. Right. Uh, you're the first person to bring it up. No, the art of asking it is as critical as asking it, period. And I was thinking about it before the show started, how I would go about it. I'm, I'm curious how you will as well. But I think you have to approach it. You get to know these these managers, these players. You want to remove the crutches they they use all the time, the phrases they use all the time. So the key to asking the question is to use those phrases in your question. They can no longer use them as part of the answer. So you would say something to the effect of, Tito, we've talked about lineups now with you, and when is the right time to move guys up and down for the better part of a decade? We know this is a conversation that's difficult. We've also seen Ahmed Rosario, get through stretches where he's red hot, you can't get the guy out, and you can't wait to see him come up to the plate. Right now, he's not in one of those stretches. Do you consider moving, shifting the lineup here? When is the right time? And is it a conversation you have with Rosario? where do we, we want to rely on you, but right now we want to also rely on guys that are getting a little bit hot, and once you are in that territory, we again could revisit reshuffling the lineup a little bit. But I think the key is with Tito to, to make sure that he understands that we, we've heard this a thousand times. We don't need to hear the exact same thing again. We need specifics on this very situation. And when do you, you want to give credit to Rosario and say, yeah, there are times when he's red hot. You don't want to just say, this guy stinks because then Tito gets into defensive mode and it becomes more about defending the player than actually addressing the question. That's why it's important in how you phrase it. You want the actual answer and the walkthrough on what the the mindset is of making a decision like this, as opposed to getting a manager in a position where they're going to tell you everything you've heard a thousand times, or they're just going to defend the player that you're requesting gets bumped down in the lineup.
1: Sometimes you have to ask something unrelated, well, tangentially related, so that it It doesn't because I I think there's a disconnect here. I think fans want us to yell at the manager telling me stupid and that it should be this way. But first of all, the sessions here are not, I mean, they're valuable in the sense that gives you content, gives us something to talk about. But what is is the goal? What, What are we trying to accomplish with this? Again, he's not changing the lineup because we're asking about it. And he's not not changing the lineup if we don't ask about it. So you think about it and fans just want it's an outlet. It's frustration. I totally understand it. Um but it's it's difficult because you're trying to juggle a bunch of different things. And so I'm thinking kind of like you said, you know, you want to you don't want... He's not going to respond well if he feels like you're ambushing him. And the way I think a lot of fans, at least the way that I've, they've voiced it to me, I've gotten several emails on the topic this weekend, um, is just wanting... Just walk into the room and say, what the F, right? And that's, one, not going to get an answer. Two... Whatever he says is not. I mean, you're you're not like. What do you want as a fan? What do you want him to say? I guess is the point. And because you're frustrated with how Rosario is playing and Jimenez deservedly deserves to bat higher, him explaining, even if he explains himself, that's not going to make you. It's not going to satisfy you because it's not going to. If he's explaining, this is why it is, and this is why I think it should say this way. That's you're not satisfied by that because it's not going to change. So there has to, you have to almost because I, I I'm kind of going through this in my head now, just to confirm this is the way I want to approach this because I've I wrote down some notes over the weekend and I've changed it about four times, but I think you need to ask a question and then let it naturally arise that then you you know you talk about Jimenez and how he's good. No matter the situation, we've seen him hit lefties, we've seen him hit righties, and there's a lot of value in that because it's one position you don't have to platoon. And given how durable Jimenez is and how athletic he is, to be able to have his bat in the lineup every single day is the reason he just landed a $100 million contract, right? So having that value there that you you have one guy for one position, you can play him every day, you have an answer, then what is it that makes him the right fit for the seventh spot in the lineup? Why there? There there's some way to sort of just transition naturally without right. just walking in and demanding change.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's understanding from his position. I can almost hear the the answer now that you want to have a length a lineup that is lengthy that can do damage at any point throughout that lineup that no pitcher can take a, a you know the a, a two or three hitters off in a row at the bottom of the lineup i I get it as a manager, I want that too. I want that out of my seven eight and nine hole The guys I feel like can still still do damage down there, but is it worth it when you see teams walking your number two hitter? Or sorry, walking your leadoff hitter to get to your number two hitter, walking your number three hitter to get to your four hole hitter. But that's it, the thing, TJ. If it. he gives that answer, is anybody happier that they heard no. that answer? Well, see, here is why I want I want to actually hear the physical walkthrough as a, opposed to defending the player that you want bumped down or, or any of these other reasonings. Because if you tell me, here's what like for for Terry Francona, if he says, here's what I'm looking for, here's when I start to make a decision just in generalities, then when we approach that point that he just described, then you can't apply more pressure because, Tito, you said when it gets to this particular point that you're, you're thinking about making a change, we are at that point now or we're nearing that point now. It's why you want someone to be on the record with their actual their answer. You, you want to have that because mm-hmm. then you can then bring their words back and it's not you putting words into their mouth. It's none of that. Tito said this, we are to that point, whether it's a, a, about uh, when do you take a guy out of a rotation, when do you take a closer out of a closer spot, when do you bump a guy down the lineup? Once he has said these things and you get the actual answer, then it becomes a weapon, I guess, you can use as a reporter to then approach that later because you've already you've got the answer. Now you can approach it again with what they actually said. And that's why it is important to approach it the right way as opposed to, as you said, just ambushing the manager and not getting any answer whatsoever. Yeah, there's an art
1: to it. And I, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just, you know, I want to go easy on the manager. and like, But that's, I, not, yeah, it. And we, we that's not it. We We talk about lineup construction constantly. We ask about it all the time. But you're not doing... You're not benefiting anyone if you just walk in and you say, Rosario sucks. Why aren't you moving him down? You have to go about it the right way to get an answer that, I don't know, maybe
0: the readers will be pleased with. because (laughs) No one's going to be pleased with the answer unless the answer is, well, actually, Zach, here's my lineup card today. And I bumped him down. That would be the answer that would make everyone happy in the moment. But you're right. I mean,
1: they spend tons of time talking about this stuff every day too. It's not like they haven't considered changes. Terry Francona keeps a like a he's got this piece of paper on his desk every day that has the lineups for the next three or four games, and it's just how he and DeMarlo Hale and Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff map things out and they're trying to make sure they get certain guys in and thinking ahead constantly there are names crossed out scribbled out changes made um there's just there's i think there are first of all a lot of things happen guys are nicked up guys are scuffling guys suddenly get hot and i mean I haven't seen the lineup for Monday evening against the Yankees, but if I had a guess, I would say Will Brennan would be starting in right field. Would I have guessed that a couple of days ago? Maybe not. So, thing, the wheels are always spinning. Um, But I'm with you. Like
0: Again, I think Jimenez deserves a hit in the top third. Well, the wheels were certainly spinning, so to speak, for fans wanting... Changes to be made in the rotation after the first start by Zach Polisak And credit where it's due, he came back and didn't have a great beginning. But, I mean, it was a big boy game for him. They needed uh, a game like that. Now, obviously, they still ended up needing to rely on the bullpen a lot because of, of extra innings. But that was a big start for him, big start for the team, and against a, an offense that you want to be able to slow down a little bit. So credit where it's due. The thing is, with with Plesak, a very frustrating pitcher, but I also disagree with those that are, like, ready to kick him to the curb. I don't think you just get rid of a guy that I think even at his, I I guess what the average performance for him would be, like somewhere over a little over a four ERA. I I don't know. I I just, I'm not ready to just say, just cut this guy or just send this guy away. I think there's still value in that over the course of an entire season. And, oh, oh, by the way, on April 10th I'm not looking to cut ties with a guy that I think can at least give you I think he can give you performances like that now is that all going to be all the, the the time no unfortunately I don't think that's the case and it's not a guy who, as we've said a million times that I want to be starting a playoff game with but in early April I'm gonna give a guy li- like that a chance to see if he can get his way worked out of it and when you if you get a little bit deeper into the season and you got to make a change because he's not performing we'll get there when we get there but I want to I want to at least give him the opportunity to turn in more performances like he did on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, and that doesn't mean he's got to hold on to that job till July 4th, um, or maybe even Memorial Day. But you need that. There's this rotation is sort of a mess, right? And Hunter Gaddis is going to oppose Garrett Cole on Tuesday, and
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a win. I'm already you, marking it down. That's a big W right there, right? <laughs> I just think, I mean, the, the the key guy to me
1: is Cal Quantrill. You need him. He was so reliable and consistent the last two years, and you need him to be that guy because Tristan McKenzie, the news is good. He's going to throw weighted balls this week and then could start a throwing program as soon as the end of the week. Um, so they're optimistic about his timeline. No symptoms or anything. He's feeling great. So... They just have to build him back up now. I don't know how long that'll take, but you need to bide your time for another month with this group probably. And as great as Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen look at AAA and Gavin Williams looks through one start at AA, um, you can't just assume that those kids are going to come up and be better than Plesak or better than Hunter Gaddis. You think they might be, you hope they are. Their stuff is certainly more tantalizing, but That's just a lot to ask. So that's going to happen at some point. You're going to see those kids this year. But you have to let this play out because the way this team plays, you just need to keep them in the game. The strengths of this team are the bullpen and the never-say-die offense. The problem is they lead the league in relief innings. That's not where you want to be at any point on the calendar, including 10 games in. You're putting too much of a strain on them. You know, the extra inning record is great, but if you're really running through these guys as often as they are, that's going to hurt you in the long term. So they need, you know, I think I'm saying this after Plesek went one inning in his first start, but there's more of a track record to believe, especially with you know the the way you see young pitchers like young pitchers don't come up and throw seven eight innings in a start right. You kind of have training wheels on them initially, so at least with Pleissack, there's a chance he goes six or seven. You have to let him go for another
0: few starts at least. And, and kind of to your point where with Naylor. Once you say he's no longer facing left-handed pitching, where do you go from there? For sack. if you were to make a change and you were to stick him in the bullpen, it's not a, as Carlos Carrasco famously demonstrated, it's not the end. You can't. It's not as if you can't ever bring him back to being a starter. But in some ways, you're, you're kind of saying we're done with him as, as being a starter unless circumstances dictate that we bring him back there. And in April, I'm not ready to make that call. Knowing what we know about rotations and starting pitching, I need as much of it as I can get. And for him, yeah, he has outings like he had in Oakland and makes you want to punch a wall watching him. But at the same time, he still has proven he is capable of having these outings like he did against Seattle. There were times throughout last year where he he had some real good starts. And if that means that he averages somewhere close to being like a league average ERA pitcher, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse, depending on the day. I don't know. I'm I'm not just running from that. I know I'm gonna need more of that throughout the entire season. That's why I'm going to continue to give him the opportunities. Yeah, it might not be the long term answer, but it's a short term necessity.
1: And like Curry's kind of interesting to me too, but I just Gaddis is still a huge question mark. I mean, you don't know that he's gonna be able to lock down that spot in the rotation for I mean, I think he's kind of on the same track as Pleissack here. So when McKenzie comes back, I think it's a it applies more pressure. You no, know, because at that point you're gonna have to make a decision. Someone's got to go. If Gaddis is pitching well, maybe maybe it is Pleissack. If if he's struggling, um, but more likely it's it's probably Gaddis, and then you can make a determination on. All right, Bybee Allen look like the real deal get one of them up and let's do something with please Act.
0: i didn't want to bury it at the end of the show it might end up being something worth watching but at the same time i don't know how much i have to add to it but the discussion's been out there as far as emmanuel class a goes and the velocity not being great at least compared to where it was at, at the beginning of the season now or beginning of last season and we've typically seen throughout his career on one hand, it feels real silly for me to be paying attention to the velocity of a guy that's still on his worst days is averaging between 97 and 99 miles per hour. At the same time, we have not seen the same sharp class A. His walks have been much higher command, not as good. Interestingly, he's relied more on the cutter than the, the slider, which the slider has actually been performing really good. and it's, it's curious to me, the reason why I'm not like suggesting anybody should be in full panic mode but a guy like Klaus say we have seen this reliably, seemingly relies a lot on getting into the rhythm of the season, pitching two, three days in a row. Once he gets into that, he almost just takes off and becomes the, the best version of himself. And I wonder how much of a beginning of a season when it's cold and yucky and you're not getting maybe the, the sort of regular appearance work that you would throughout the, the regular season once it actually kind of gets underway. I just don't know how much to take away from these early season performances from him. But the, the command is not there and the velocity is not there. It, even compared to where he was at this previous April in 2022, it's down like a tick to a tick and a half on that cutter. So, is it something worth watching? Is it something worth visiting with the manager? What do you think about it? It's down a little bit, but it's, it's just been inconsistent
1: five appearances average cutter velocity 98.7 then the very next day 96.5 then 97.9 then 98.6 then 97.7 so it's fluctuated i asked i talked to the bullpen coach about this cuz there's a few things that can be in play number one i mean it's it's cold Usually velocities are down a little bit in April. I think that's what pitchers would tell you at least. And the pitch clock could factor into this. He doesn't have as much time to collect himself and then throw as hard as he possibly can. Maybe that factors in. I had an interesting chat with the bullpen coach who said, I was asking, how can he be better? and thinking of it just in terms of what he's done the last two seasons, and you really have to nitpick to find anything wrong with his performance. And they've prioritized. They want him throwing more cutters up in the zone because they think he can get more swing and miss from that. You raise the eye level, and then you drop the slider down, and that can be effective. And you've seen him doing that more. The one thing that the bullpen coach said that kind of, made me raise an antenna. He said, we need him to just be strong and stay strong so he can throw consistently hard for 10, 15 years. And he pointed to a Chapman being able to throw one Oh three forever. And it just made me wonder, is there something there where maybe he's got to work his arm into shape and maybe we'll see in June and July, he's firing one on one again, but yeah. it just takes more time. And is that something thought. is that something he should have he could have done over the offseason or in spring training to start that progress sooner. The guy also made 77 appearances last year <laughs> and I know a lot of those outings were like seven pitches. And I know he's not a guy who throws many warm-up pitches, so it's usually just get the arm warm, get out there pitch for three minutes and then you're done but i i don't know i mean this is all i'm just throwing out what i've heard i'm not dogging the guy's work ethic i'm not suggesting he's you know got something going on with his arm but it's just it is interesting and i do think it is worth watching and i think that comment is just going to stick with me until he's throwing 100 miles an hour again well that that's
0: kind of what I was thinking. It seems like it takes a, a little bit for his arm to get where it needs to be. And I, I really do believe he relies a lot on pitching a lot to just get him, whether it's mechanically, whether it's just in how he feels, whether it's the velocity. In, in fairness, the guy that we, we first saw throwing 102 cutters, that wasn't even him last year. His velocity was, it was settled more in the 99 to 101 range very comfortably. We didn't see as much of those, like, knock you on your ass, you can't believe that pitch just came out of his his hand territory. But he still proved damn special reliever. So, to me, that's part of why I'm not in full panic mode about it. I think there are just way too many factors that it could be for me to ever truly freak out on April 10th. It's kind of my point here. I, I... as the years have unfolded and we've done this show, the way I kind of think about it is anything where it it could be something or it could be nothing, I think it's worth just giving me a little bit more of a sample size. It could be something. It could be very, very scary, or it could be absolutely nothing. And it's not worth me spending energy and time getting too worked up about it when it we could be in May, and this is a a thing we laugh about. Like, why do we even have that conversation about him? So I'll, I'll watch it. I'll keep he it was, in the memory banks. I'll continue to to make notes of it. But
1: I mean, he was throwing ninety nine and hundred last April,
0: so I'm skeptical
1: on the cold weather stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm not huge on that. Now Pitch either.
1: clock could
0: be a factor, though. That is interesting. Well, he I was looking at it real quick as you were talking. He was at 22.8 in tempo last year which is kind of down towards the bottom not not the worst like Giovanni Gallegos was at nearly 26 last year this year he's had to speed it up to about 16 which is still not like among the fastest workers but he's had to speed it up a little bit I don't know I don't know what that's going to do and I don't even know if if your body just gets used to it then do you just do you just get used to it you just start throwing the way that you you once did is do you need that extra time to throw with velocity? I don't know. So I, I just need more of a sample here. I need I need more data before I, I make any long-term determinations. I would like to see maybe if uh, he's going to continue working through this. Let's see more of the slider. Because I think it still has great vertical movement, still has great horizontal movement. Compared to the league average, it's well above it. If the cutter's not going to be like, Lights out amazing let's just see more of the slider a little bit until you feel better about where the cutter's at velocity wise
1: yeah i it's lowish on the list of things to be concerned about, I think it helps that the bullpen is just yeah, I don't know. they could throw Eli Morgan out there in the tenth inning to protect a two run lead and <laughs> He, I mean, he's looked great. That slider has really elevated his arsenal. Um, but they, they just—they have so many
0: relievers they can bring in, and I'm like, yeah, they'll probably get the job done. Yeah, for for class A I'm more concerned with the 19% strikeout rate, 19% walk rate. Uh, just avoid some of the walks there, and, and see what happens with the the rest of it. Let the rest of it play out. Uh, but yeah. Give a little bit more time a little bit more data before bumping that up on the the panic meter any uh last minute takeaways from opening weekend be glad that that's behind you now
1: it's gone fast we're already 10 games in
0: it's like one game of an NFL season and you know what that means we've learned everything we need to learn about the team. See you Saturday at the collectors convention. Yeah, we'll put some more details out on that on Twitter. We've already done that on Discord. And find us at Patreon, Patreon.com/selbysgodcast. We're out of here. See ya.